Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey, Believers Church, I'm coming to you live from Impact Summer Camp. It has been such an incredible week so far. We're watching God do incredible things in our students and the lives of students from all over the region. And I wanna introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, He's gonna be continuing in our series called Summer School. It's been such a phenomenal series. I know he has a word on his heart that's gonna change your life. His name is none other than Jimmy Santangelo. And he is one of my favorite people. He's a soul winner. He loves people and he loves Jesus. Can you make some serious noise for my friend, Jimmy Santangelo? Well, I feel like a rock star after that. Let me tell you, thank you, Pastor Joe. We're going to continue in our summer school series, and today's topic is Table Manners Matter. And if you're like me, maybe in school or most definitely at home, you were given some table manners growing up. You might have been told, um, use a napkin, not your sleeve, to wipe your mouth, okay, or put the napkin on your lap. You might have been told that when you're eating at the table, don't put your elbows on the table. It's not polite, okay? Maybe you were told, um, like I was, don't chew with your mouth open. Nobody wants to see what you're eating. Um, And then sometimes we're even told, we don't talk about that at the dinner table. You ever have that happen? Uncle Tony's coming over, so don't bring up this subject, okay? Well, those are all good manners, and they're important that we have them. But I believe Jesus, when we talk about the table, is concerned about who we share our meal with and why we share our meal with them. Do you know there's intentionally just one place setting here? There are 45% of Americans that on any given night share their meal with no one. They eat alone. Um, There's actually an epidemic in the world that they're diagnosing and calling it loneliness. In fact, Japan and Great Britain were the two first countries to set up a prime minister or a minister of loneliness. And they're talking about doing the same in the United States. The effects of not having communal eating or eating with others, they're saying are both physical and mental. They're saying individuals that eat alone don't eat as healthy, so they have more propensity to obesity, to diabetes, um, and they're subject to substance abuse. They also say cognitively, They lose track of things much quicker, like I do sometimes up here. They lose track of things, and they even are subject to Alzheimer's setting on at an earlier age. And on the flip side, there's actually a magazine called Brain World Magazine. They tell you all the benefits of having dinner with other individuals. Number one, they begin with telling us our history. About 60 years ago, most people spent about an hour around the dinner table. And that was including eating and sharing and finding out what was going on in individuals' lives. Those that do spend time around the table today, the average is 12 minutes. Hardly enough time to put the nutrients into your body, let alone have any discussion and grow on what's, find out what's going on in individuals' minds. Well, you know, God knew the science behind 
telling us to commune together and have meals with others. If you remember in Genesis 1, he sets up the garden and tells us what to eat. It's good for us. All throughout the Old Testament, he had what's called covenant meals at any great points with any of the, the prophets from that time. Um, he tells us in Revelations that there's going to be a great supper waiting for us when we get there. And Jesus, who we're going to talk about today, said of himself, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. I mean, that's a pretty good party right there. So if you've ever read through the Gospels um, and taken note of how many times the stories and the parables that we're so familiar with that Jesus shared, how many of them were given to us inside a home, around a table, or enjoying a meal. There's, in Luke alone, there are 10 of them, and there's many throughout the gospel. So we're just going to touch on a couple of those today and see why Jesus enjoyed sharing meals with people so much. The first one, and I'm going to flip through these really quick. The scriptures will be on the screen, but the first one comes from Luke 5. And Jesus had just called Matthew to be a follower. And it says that Matthew threw a party for him. Now, remember that Matthew is a tax collector. He's a, he's a Jew by nature, but he's working for the Roman government. They consider him a traitor because he gets to set his own pay scale. Whatever the taxes are, he gets to add whatever he wants, depending on who the person is. So tax collectors were not well-liked. And here's what it says. We pick up, later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus interrupted and answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, you, Mr. Pharisee, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus sets the stage right away. He says, I'm in the rescue business, and those are the people that I came for. Those that are sinners, those that are unhealthy, those that need to repent. And you know what? We're all disciples of Christ, and that means we're learner followers. That means he's called us to the rescue business also. And the way he did it in that illustration is he built a bridge. He went where most of us would probably not want to go. You know, as I was preparing this and I was reading this, I thought about many times we're invited places and we go, I don't really know anybody there or they're not like me. Uh, they don't vote the way I do. They don't think the way I do. What am I going to talk about? So no, I'll pass. Thanks for the dinner invitation. I'll pass. We're on the flip side when we're inviting people over to our home and we're talking about who to invite. There's been times I've said, I don't have a lot in common. I don't know what I'll share with that person. Let's, let's just not invite them. And man, I had to repent when I was reading this and think about how I've done that in my own life. And maybe you've had that experience also because Jesus is all about building bridges with the sick, with those that are lost in the hopes that they will recognize that he's the son of God and develop a relationship with him. So Jesus, you're gonna hear, would eat with anybody anywhere for the sake of building a bridge. The second time Jesus ate that I'm going to share, it comes from the uh, Gospel of Mark. 
And he's out in the countryside, and he's been teaching for three days. He's done. He's tired. He said all he wants to say, and he's ready to go home. But he realizes these people have eaten all the food that they brought in the last three days. And so he asks his disciples, what do we got to feed them? And well, first, let me go back there. It says in the NIV, if it's on the screen there, it says he had compassion on them. And so because of his compassion, he asked the disciples, what do we have to feed them? And they said, seven loaves. So he sits everybody down, he blesses the food, he breaks it, he gives it to them, and there's more than enough to feed the 4,000 people. And then it says, and then they found some fish. I have to think the disciples were holding the fish back when he asked for food, just in case the bread didn't go as far as, as they needed it to go. But anyways, they give him the fish, he blesses it, breaks it, they eat, and there's more than seven baskets that they pick up. And then it says Jesus sent them home. So, you know, what I see in there is because of compassion for those that are hurting. And that is so much different than feeling sorry for someone. Okay, when you feel sorry, maybe you have some empathy, you feel sorry. But when you have compassion, that means I suffer with you. That means I work to resolve your situation. I make your problem my problem, and we're going to get through this together. And so Jesus was as hungry as they were, and because of his compassion, he worked another miracle and fed the people. And that makes me think, who do I need to be compassionate with? Who is hungry, spiritually or physically? Who has God put in front of me that maybe just went through a divorce, just lost a spouse, a job, has a relational breakdown with somebody? Am I willing to invite them over to share a meal with them simply out of compassion? The third example happens actually after the resurrection. It comes from the Gospel of John. And... This is when Peter and some of the disciples are fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus shows up on the, on the shoreline. And this is the third time Jesus actually appears to Peter and some of the other disciples. And it says this, At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll catch some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. This is the second time he worked that miracle. Earlier in his ministry, he did the same thing with them. And maybe that's what prompted their mind because it says, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard it, he put his tunic on, jumped in the water and headed for shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Now, why did Jesus do that? Do you know, food is such a a, a way to break down barriers. Most people, when they're angry, they won't have a meal with you. Or if you get them angry while you're eating, they'll leave the table because of it. But food is all about relationship. You share meals with people you love. You share meals with people you care for. Jesus is going to restore Peter in this situation. He could have just done that. But what does he do? He cooks breakfast for them. Now, you got to imagine this. They're telling fish stories, I would think. They're telling all sorts of stories about what's going on in their lives. He enjoyed their company with a meal 
having breakfast. And then he moved on to why he was really there. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter answers, you know I love you. He asks him a second time, do you love me more than these? You know I love you. And Jesus tells him to feed his sheep, feed his lamb. Then a third time he asks Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's crushed that Jesus asked him a third time. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And then it says, Jesus told him, follow me. Jesus came and sought him out. Now, I want you to think about this. Maybe you can relate like me. Maybe somebody has been a traitor to you, denied knowing you. Maybe somebody has offended you, told a story about you that's not true. We know that Peter denied Jesus three times. We know that Peter had two encounters with Jesus before this third one. Yet Peter never said, I'm sorry, in those two encounters. We have no record of that. And Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven, and he wants to make the relationship right. So he comes to Peter. The offended goes to the one who was the offending. And he cooks a meal for him. He opens up the table for him. And he restores him, and he puts him on his mission when he says, follow me. Guys, I just think about that in our own lives. You know, we all have people that we're angry with that have hurt us. Could it be that Jesus is asking us to invite them over, to share a meal with them, for us to take the first step and restore our relationship with them? Could it be that we all know people that have been in church for a long time and for whatever reason they're away from church? Could it be that we just invite them over to our home to start building the bridges like Jesus did in the first story in the hopes of restoring them back to God? Sometimes we do this in our neighborhoods. If you live in a neighborhood like mine, neighbor A has something to complain about neighbor C to you because you've got ears to listen. And neighbor C may say the same things about neighbor A. We found ourselves having a barbecue and inviting A and C over together in the hopes of building a bridge before I knew that terminology and restoring relationships. And you know what? It worked. It worked. We actually see them helping each other and being better. So Jesus loves using the table. We could go on and on about examples. He invites himself into Zacchaeus' house because he knows God's doing a work in Zacchaeus' life. So he wants to share a meal with him, and we know the result of that. He, he's invited many times by Pharisees who are really just trying to figure him out and find something to trick him with, up with. He's invited to their homes. One time he's invited, and while he's reclining at the table, a prostitute comes in, weeping, asking for forgiveness cries on his feet, it says, and then she lets down her hair and wipes his feet with her hair, and then she puts ointment on it. And the Pharisee's like, do you know who that is? And after he reprimands the Pharisee about what he didn't do for Jesus, he tells her her sins are forgiven over the course of a meal. Another time, a Pharisee invites him in, and and they're having a banquet, and he's watching everybody vie for the top seat, hitting at the head table. And Jesus says, you really shouldn't do that, okay? It's better to sit at the last seat 
and have somebody say, no, 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 this seat is for you here and elevate you rather than to elevate yourself and have somebody else come in and say, that's for somebody else. You need to go back down here. And then he continues in that same story with the host and he says, everybody here can invite you back to their home. How about inviting some people who will never be able to return the favor and my God in heaven will reward you for doing that. So see, God, and there's so many more, God throughout his ministry here used the table because it's an expression of friendship, of love. It breaks down barriers and it's a means to build bridges, to show compassion, to restore people to each other and to God. And finally, the best meal that he ever did, we call it the Last Supper. Jesus invests in people. And he begins the Last Supper with, with the washing of their feet. And it says that he took off his robe and put a towel around himself, and he bent down and he washed their feet. And then it says when it was finished, he says, I'm Lord, your master, I've done this for you. Do you understand what I'm doing? Go and do the same. He's saying, if you want to lead, you need to serve. Okay. Um, let me go back to that. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. And God will bless you for doing this. Okay? Jesus then went on, and we think that's the end of it. I'm going to catch up with myself here. We think that's the end of it. And when we think of the Last Supper, we think of the five minutes that we take at church and say a prayer, and then we have the wafer and the little drop of grape juice. Now, this Last Supper was all evening. Think about it. He knows what's coming. He knows in 24 hours he's going to be dead. He knows in less than 12 hours he's going to be arrested and everything begins. And yet he chooses that evening to share a meal and invest in people that he loves. And he begins with showing them what humility looks like by washing their feet. And then many of these stories, these scriptures we have heard before, he says, I'm going away to prepare a room for you and I'll come back and get you. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit for you. He says, to love one another as I have loved you, and the world will know my love because of that. Um, he says, my peace I give you. All of this is in the Gospel of John during the Last Supper. This is a four, five, six-hour evening event, kind of like going to some of our Italian families when you go in the basement and you're there for four hours eating all night or some of your others. So this is what? Jesus is investing, and it is around a table. He could have done it just like we're doing it now. He could have stood up and say, okay, everybody sit there. I got some things I need to tell you before I leave and go back to heaven. But he had a meal with them, and the meal went on for hours and hours. And during the meal is when he invested in them. Okay? The early church understood this. Okay? If you go to Acts 2, it begins with, in 42, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. 
And then he repeats it again in verse 46. He says, they worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It started, Christianity started with 120 people in the upper room. And in the first two centuries, there were three and a half million people, and they never had a building to meet in, okay? It happened around what many people call table church. They would meet in the temple for large group teaching, and then they would meet in homes in small groups. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. He talks about on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. They would go to small homes, and they would have, he calls it, an agape feast, which means a love feast. And so for any of you guys that were at Woodstock, that's not the love feast he's talking about, okay? Let's just set it right there, okay? But he's talking about a love feast. And they would spend the evening praying, sharing Jesus stories. They didn't have the New Testament, so they shared the stories over and over again about Jesus's ministry and what it's doing in their life. This went on for 200 years to get to three and a half million believers. That is how the church grew. That was, can I, can you throw that picture up there, please? If you can get to it. This is my illustration of, oh, it is there. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. This is a modern day table church, right? You might recognize some of the faces. They're from our church group here. This is what it would look like. They gather together on Sunday nights, the first day of the week for a meal together. That is table church. That's how the church grew. Then about the third or fourth century, the emperor Constantine realizes how many Christians there are, and he makes Christianity legal, and and they come out of the catacombs, and they come out of the small churches, or out of the small homes, and they, with the funding from the government and people's giving, they developed what's called, what many people call the altar church. It'll be up there in a moment. And we built these big cathedrals. Nope, that one. There we go. So we went from table church, where we met in small groups each week and worked things out, to altar church, all right, where this became the primary issue. But if you can see, number one, they didn't have amplification. They're sitting way in the back, and everything was about the adoration of the elements of the Last Supper. And that is truly good. I'm not diminishing that at all. But what went by the wayside was the small groups in the home, the same people every week, doing life together, working out their salvation because they're going to have arguments and they got to figure out how to restore each other and how to build each other up and bringing other people in. That went by the wayside. And then around the 15th century, us protesters, we call ourselves Protestants now, but us protesters decided that everybody has a Bible now after the printing press. We need to start proclaiming the word of God more rather than putting the emphasis on communion. And so where they met every time and did communion every time, most Protestant churches don't do it every week now. And they went to the emphasis of the teaching of the word. And so I call this the pulpit church, okay? If it's up there, coming. Where all the churches, most of them are under 200 people. They started, and it was all about the proclamation. And once in a while, you would have communion. 
And once in a while, you would have fellowship meals, like we did on the 4th of July weekend, okay? And that's good. That's, that's trying to get back to it. But again, if you're meeting with the same people every week, month in, year in, you build a much deeper relationship than a 4th of July fellowship meal or what a church could do a few times a year. And so that's a start. It's moved back to it. And then in this last century, we have a, a, a new type of church, and we call it the theater church. And that, because of amplification, we can go in any building, any size, and accommodate the crowd. And what do we do in theater church? We have concerts, right? We have worship. We have the preaching. We have drama. We have anything you can think of. We even call this many times, this is called the stage, okay? So we've gone to theater church. And there's a lot of good with that. I'm not turning that down. And we try to bring back the original table church by having connect groups. And man, those are really good. You really need to be in one because that's where you grow. That's where life happens. But I have to tell you, this, they last for seven weeks and then you're off and then we start them again for another seven weeks. That's a good entry point. But we need a community of people that we do life with, our groups that we form if we're raising children with other people that are at that stage, if we're in retirement with people in that stage, and do life together and meet with that group year in and year out. And that's where true growth happens, and that's where you can bring others in. So um, those are the four stages that many people think happen to our church. We've done this individually also. This picture of the home that I have up there, some of you may recognize it. You may live in that type of home. It was a lot more common before. I grew up in that type of home. Maybe your grandmother was. And um, that's a home that has a large front porch and a living room in front of the house with a big picture window. Does anybody remember anything like that? Can I get a show of hands? Somebody tell me you're with me. Track it with me. Thank you. All right. And so what did you do? After dinner, you went on the porch, and you had your dessert, you had your beverage, whatever it was. And others in your community, which we call neighborhoods, would walk around the block. And at that time, we had sidewalks. And from the sidewalk, there was this thing called a pathway that actually walked, took you up to people's front porches. And you were expected to go visit your neighbor if they were sitting on their front porch. That was community. That's what our connect groups are. And so we had that development. But now we've gone from community to being about ourselves and only those that we want around us. And so now we've done away with front porches and we have stoops and we've moved to what I call the backyard. So instead of having a big picture window, living room and a front porch, we have a family room in the back of the house with sliding doors onto a deck that has a barbecue grill so I can cook, that has a hot tub if I'm sore, that has sofas and chairs and everything else, and most of them are fenced in so that you're not getting in my life or in my house, in my backyard, unless I open the door and invite you in. Man, we've come a long way from Jesus going where people were far from him and he didn't know to build a bridge. And we've isolated ourselves in this situation. So that has changed. So how do we get back? How do we become part of a community? Um, 
and change this around. One, recognize God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. And he has shown us there are a lot of ways to build bridges and connect with people, but one that we avoid is the table. And we do that because we love our homes, right? And, and we don't want to prepare. And I think we get confused about what sharing a meal really is. It's not entertainment. It doesn't mean everything has to match. The meal has to be perfect. The decorating in my home has to be awesome. It has to be perfectly clean. I'm not Martha Stewart. That, that's entertaining. But sharing a meal is just coming over and whatever we put together, we eat together and we talk about Jesus' stories and what we need from one another and what we could do. And so our attitude has to change. We love our homes. If God truly blessed us to be a blessing, think about this. For most of us, the greatest physical, tangible asset that we'll ever have is our home. And yet it's the one that we tend to use the least in, guard, in regards to building bridges with others. Or it's the one that's the most difficult for us to use. And it should be just the opposite. The greatest gift that he's given us should be the one that should be the biggest blessing that we have for other people. But we struggle with that. And it's just, it's just our mindset. It's, that's all it is. Let me share a phrase with you. See if my Spanish is okay. Mi casa e tu casa. What did I just say? My house is your house, okay? Spaniards, Europe, that was the philosophy. Now let me share another one. It's a North American philosophy. My home is my castle, okay? My house is your house, okay? Sometimes my son-in-laws come in and they go, hey, Dad, when you're gone, would you earmark that one for me? And I go, if you want to take it now, I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. My house is your house. Or a man's home is his castle. Which one do you think Jesus would identify with most? Okay. And we're disciples. I love what one teacher says. He, he modernizes the word disciple, which means learner follower. Okay. He modernizes it and says we're apprentices. You know, if you're a plumber, there's a master plumber and there's an apprentice plumber. And the apprentice plumber, plumber learns what the master's doing. He watches him and he copies it, okay? We are apprentice to Jesus. And Jesus shared meals with everybody to build bridges out of compassion for what they're going through, to invest in them and to restore relationships. And so as apprentice, He's just asking us to use that tool that he's blessed us with to do the same with others. Um, you know, long before, we're good at inviting people to church, but long before people will walk into a church, they'll come to your home for dinner. I read a book recently. I want to share a story with you. Her name is Rosario Butterfield, and she wrote a book entitled um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Right? It's a challenging book. It's hard. Okay? We like having people over, but it is hard to live this lifestyle. So here's Rosaria's background. She's, she's a tenured um, professor in Syracuse in communications, and she also heads up um, the queer theory department. She's a lesbian, 
and has lover, a home, dogs, her lifestyle set up. She hates Christians because at every pride parade that she marched in, they were terrible, the things they said and the things they did. And so she wrote this little article to a local newspaper tearing us apart. But there was a Christian in the community who read that and sent her a response and said, a lot of what you said is right, but that's not really Jesus Christ. I'd love you to come over for dinner and let's talk about this. And so she went to dinner at this house with the sole intention, she was publishing, she was writing a book to publish about Christians, with the sole intention of getting ammunition to crucify us. And what happened was they just loved on her. They just loved on her. They appreciated her for who she was because we're all made in the image of God and we're all, we're all sinners in one way or another. And over two years, she came back for meal after meal after meal and then started joining their connect groups in their home, accepted the Lord. And she talks about the process of then leaving the lifestyle she was in and what she had to go through and how difficult it was and how they walked with her through that. And now she's married to another pastor and their home is like a commune. The gospel comes with a house key. Neighbors and everybody. It's a challenging story. But the point is, before someone will get here, they will come to your table. You know, there's a phrase I read. Individually, you and I probably won't change the world. But individually, we can change an individual. And that's what that couple, that pastor and his wife did when they invited Rosario over to their home. So where do we come away with from here? Here's the challenge. Just to start with where we're at, some of you out here, you love having people in your homes. You open your home up all the time, right? Just ask God, is there somebody I haven't invited in that you want me to? Others, you're afraid with the idea of, of having someone in your home. Well, maybe start by meeting for coffee somewhere. The idea is to build relationships with people who are not like us. So wherever we're at, start right where you're at. You know, Psalm 68, 6 says, everyone deserves to eat with a family. Jesus knows the value of sharing a meal. And it is terrible that 45% of Americans eat like this most nights of the week. doesn't have to be that way. Each of us knows someone in our circle that is alone. And it's difficult for us to do. It's not what we're accustomed to, but we're called to invite them into our family for whatever reason. So I just want to pray right now. If you'll close your eyes, I want to invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, you've been here your presence has been here. And Lord, I believe only you can speak to each of us individual, individually. And Lord, I've asked that even while we spoke today, that you would put pictures in our minds of neighbors, of co-workers, maybe even family members or friends that fit that category, that are alone for whatever reason, that need to have a, bill, a bridge built to you that I could invest in, that I could help restore, 
or that I can just simply have compassion and suffer with them and make their problem my problem. So for the next few seconds in silence, I'm asking you just to visualize who that person may be in your life. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you challenge us. Lord, we know that you build bridges in a number of ways. But we know that the greatest asset, the greatest blessing you gave us was our kitchen table. And that you're desiring for us to use our homes to a greater degree than we do. And so, Lord, thank you for the names, for the faces, the relationships that you've put in my heart and in the hearts of those that are here with me here today, Lord. And I ask that you just show us what the next step is in our life to build these bridges and restore individuals to you because we are your apprentice and you came as a rescue mission and we want to join you with that. And with every eye closed as we continue, maybe you're here today and this is all strange Maybe you know about Jesus and you've heard about him, but you don't remember ever saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, and I want you to lead my life. If everyone would join with me just for the sake of it and repeat after me, Father God, thank you for your love for me. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to be lonely because of you. Forgive me for wanting to do things my way all the time. I ask you to take control of my life and show me what my next step is with you. And I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.